0: Michael and I were looking at this report the other day um, that Michael sent me from the Aspen Institute, and I found it interesting because it was talking about the what was it the, the
1: information cri- disorder,
0: information disorder, There you go. Mm. and uh, and so is this one you know big disinformation kind of um, uh, a national security uh, um, uh, treatise, and um, and it used the word harm in in exactly the way that it's used by. Sort of the 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 woke, the woke. Um, and so it's interesting. Like it just seems like the this. This language is, is percolating on, you know, percolated at one point on college campuses, has insinuated its way into the NGO world, um, into the professions, and now it's being used by the national security state to justify their policies. They say, well, we're, basically they were saying, they didn't they didn't use the term harm reduction, but the context of the phrase was basically like, where we need to take these measures in order to minimize harm, in order to practice harm reduction. It was like. I, it's only a matter of time before the stuff is being used to justify, I don't know, an invasion of a foreign country based on, you know, reducing harm or using the the kind of woke language around it, um, around bigotry and racism and harm.
1: I mean, was that I mean, it's interesting because so in the in the piece that um, I did over the weekend about the Roald Dahl controversy, it was called the narcissism of woke totalitarianism. And I pointed out that, you know, in the past totalitarianism, we associated with it becoming from the state and being imposed on the culture. Here we see cultural institutions, The New York Times. Uh, Puffin, the publisher of Roald Dahl's books, NPR, I mean, we can go through, you know, universities, I mean, all these cultural, you know, the opera, right? All these institutions are imposing this uh, policing of language in particular. I mean, Orwell, of course, wrote a lot about language, and, and language is something that is a big part of, it seems like, totalitarian, what totalitarians are trying to do. I'm curious, Martin, because of course you're an expert in uh, in just we haven't introduced our guest yet, bro. Which is like Martin Gurry, author of uh, "Revolt of the Public," and you were a CIA media analyst for decades. You were sort of a someone that studies language. How does this kind of you know attack on the English language compare to past totalitarian attacks on language? Is it just the same thing, or do you see differences in it?
2: Well, I mean, I come from Cuba, right? So I before. I was 10 years old i had experienced a right-wing dictator practically my very first memory is of being told don't look out the window bad things are going to be happening mm. um and all, and then a left-wing totalitarian dictator right and we were there for two years after Castro took over before we left it's the same kind of thing now you know you have to you know draw lines on the map The United States is not Cuba, okay, and thank goodness for that. And there are people who can talk back uh, like you and I are doing. Uh, And And that's not allowed in Cuba. No. I mean, you can do it, but the odds that somebody is going to come, throw you in the back of a, a car and do severe damage to your body are very high, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, this has happened many times or if you keep at it afterwards it's a warning if you keep afterwards then you do end up in in jail Um, so you know it's not the same thing but it's it's the road to right it's the road to where they are it has never happened you're looking at me and you know that I am not a young person okay nobody listening to us can see that thank goodness but you know I am not a young person and I have never never seen this in the United States of America. Never seen a moment where people were told, you cannot use that word. You cannot have that opinion. You are not allowed to say this in certain publications. You are not allowed to say this out in public. This has never happened. I'm not sure that it has ever happened except, I mean, the, the best I can do in history, definitely not in my lifetime. I'm not as old as World War One, So maybe um, Woodrow Wilson's wartime censorship which was pretty vile and disgusting you know and for example um completely overlooked the fact that the spanish flu was happening because they thought it was going to be harmful to um to the war effort and we sent all these boys over there who were probably infected and, and you know super spread the thing uh, maybe that's as far, if you don't go there, if you don't stop there, then it, you'd have to go to the um, Alien and Sedition Acts, almost, right? to the 18, to the year 1800. This is not an American way of thinking that you can't say that word. Mm. That In this country, you say the word, and then you pay the price for it, which is somebody disputes you or whatever. But the fact that you're being told you cannot say it um, shows you, number one, that something is broken. Something is broken. Why are we being told this? But number two, how fragile these opinions are—that they can't dispute them. They can't. They, they don't think they're going to survive the test of of debate.
0: Can I ask a question about the Cuba example, which is that? Um, so I I I don't know if this shows a continuity or a, or a disconnect between now and then, but it seems like with totalitarian societies, when you had these. Um, sort of a party line and if you diverged from the party line you would be punished for it and castigated and you know the 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 uh, party ideology had its own lingo and lexicon etc did that i assume and i think most people assume that that came from sort of the the official apparatchiks of the party apparatus who 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 you know came up with these rules and then promulgated these rules on the population Whereas now it's much more organic, like it's not coming from the Democratic Party now is kind of um, been infected with it, but it didn't come from the party. But uh, but I could be wrong. It could be that actually in in Cuba, in Russia, in in um, in fascist countries as well. I think That's a different animal. Um, But let's just stick with the left wing ones. Um, maybe I just don't know. Maybe they did come from organically from institutions that were outside of the Communist Party originally, and in, in academia. I mean, certainly some of the, the ideology obviously emerged in academia um, uh, initially. But is this a is this a difference, um, or is it continuous with what happened in these other societies?
2: Yeah, I, I think in neither case it's organic. I think it, it, in uh, obviously in a case of a place like Cuba or North Korea, uh, it comes from the top. And it has the purpose uh, of control. At the same time, at the local, at the, the, at the, the little um, uh, neighborhood snitch level, you imp- improvise, right? I mean, if somebody's br- walking into your um, your apartment building that you're supposed to supervise as the neighborhood snitch, and you're looking at them going in with bags of, of Say groceries that you would like to have, all right? You invent something, and organically something arises. Oh, you are not meeting such, and you use a bunch of words, you have to give me that food. You're not allowed to have it, all right? And and on behalf of the party and the people, your your food is taken away from you.
1: It seems like this thing that Leighton is pointing out is so interesting around words causing harm. You know, one observation about it is that it's not what it says it is. It says it's about protecting people from harm. It's really about seizing power. Now, you can say it's doing it in the name of preventing harm, and they kind of think they will, but, but the people that are often doing it do not demonstrate much empathy for the groups that they're actually suggesting they're concerned for in any other context. The second part of it that I, was, that I think is really interesting is that it, it may be about they think it's preventing harm, but it's really also about fitting, create, fitting into a victimhood morality, not just a victimhood mentality, but it's sort of saying, look, there's a hierarchy. And unless you had any confusion about what it was, it's not just people of color over whites people. It's, it's, it's BIPOC. We had to invent this whole other category called BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color, to underscore the fact that not only are people of color morally superior to white people, but that black and indigenous people are morally superior to Latinos and Asians. And then trans a late arrival to the game of the victimhood Olympics, but nonetheless suddenly gets on top. And so when you, when they're, when you look at this, it's as dumb as it seems often, they're just trying to enforce a kind of a bad victimhood, identitarian morality. Now it seems like that does have something in common with the old communist and totalitarian regimes. There was some sense of it, but was, was the totalitarianism in the past focused on preventing harm or was it about something else? Yeah, I mean, it was about utopia, right? <clears throat> Damn. It was about utopia.
2: If you were in Cuba and Fidel Castro was taking over, he knew how to deliver utopia. He believed everything that had been going on before had been a lie, kind of like Donald mm-hmm. Trump, say. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that people were said made you prosperous, you had to work hard, you had to invest, you had to have property, you have to have all these things that history had proven. Were necessary for the, the economic growth. Those are lies. These are lies perpetrated by evil people. I have, I have, the the blueprint, and the blueprint, of course, was a a disaster. But in the end, they had justice. He thought, you know, that's what they believed, and to this day, there are people who think that Fidel Castro was a great man, and actually, uh, delivered justice in Cuba.
1: Um, I think. Honestly, but what was the defense? And what is the defense in the Castro <laughs> regime mm-hmm. of censorship? In other words, what is the justification for censorship? If we see the justification here, the it's said. increasingly around causing harm. Is that what they say? You say, comrade, no, you have to it, shut up because you're causing harm. No, it was not
2: about causing harm in either case. It was about um, misinforming the, 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 uh, the belief. that Castro pretty much stated it: if you have a free uh uh, sort of open information sphere the powerful people are going to dominate it and the powerful people are there going to dictate their interests to the unpowerful people the meek and the and 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 the poor and they are going to believe things that aren't true and so forth that's exactly what we're being told right now harm is just a word and when it isn't harm it's going to be something else right I mean it's going to be information uh, election meddling or whatever you know there's always some kind of twist why if you have free speech or racism you know uh, if you have free speech these powerful but malevolent forces are going to control what is ostensibly free speech and then the people who are by definition kind of easily swayed and and have no actual principles of their own, are going to believe in these uh, lies, is this, this disinformation and misinformation, and then are going to be voting against their own interests or, or believing things that, that are actually not good for them.
0: I, it, I, I think the justification would be that you're undermining the party, right, and that you're serving the forces of the counter-revolutionaries, and so you are... Right, but, but I mean, you have to understand
2: these people don't think in terms of the party. They think they, they are the noble ones. Mm-hmm. They are the platonic guardians. It's a question of... Who is good and who is bad? And 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 one of the most terrifying things, I believe, about totalitarianism, like uh, people like Fidel Castro, who was sort of like an evil genius and a moral monster, uh, is that I am sure if you could measure, this could be measured psychologically, you know, he was, of, of the entire human race, one of the people who went to sleep thinking... I am among the best. He had no qualms. This guy who killed people, threw people in prison, impoverished an entire country, a million and a half Cubans have left. Um, He went to bed thinking, boy, I'm such a great guy. And I'm sure Adolf Hitler did the same thing and and Stalin did the same thing. So it's not about, the party's just a structure. What you have to understand is a moral justification for it that is what
1: makes it structural. But I think I am, I am sort of, I want to draw attention to what I think there is a difference going on. So I just interviewed um, a, a woman who uh, transitioned to you know, puberty blockers and surgery, or actually to testosterone and surgery. She's now detransitioned. She's calling herself a detransitioner. She's just filed a lawsuit against the Canadian government. And I said to her, I said, do you think that the trans movement is a cult? And she said, without hesitation, Yes. And I said, okay, so who is the cult leader? And she was like, you know, that part's not as clear. You know, everything else you look at the cult, engaging in irrational and dangerous behaviors, um, you know, magical thinking, all sorts of other things, but that she didn't have a clear leader. And I think that, um, I see that. I mean, I think there are leaders. There's like intellectual leaders, and we'd kind of go, you know, um, Chris Rufo has a book coming out, for example, that traces all of this bad, woke stuff back to very specific people <laughs> Herbert Marcuse, Angela Davis, people that we're all familiar with. And these lines get repeated, but it seems like something it seems like the enforcement mechanisms and the ways in which it's being enforced, and I think we talked about it last night, is it's occurring more horizontally than in totalitarian systems of the past, where it's like Fidel Castro seized state power and then imposed his his communist doctrine on the public. It feels like this woke stuff is emerging It came from the universities, of course, but then it's like there's people in the opera society. There's people uh, in the Department of Education. There's people at UCLA. There's people at Puffin Press. And they all have the exact same playbook and mentality and lines. They play the victim the same way. You know, Martin, when you talk like that. You know, I feel this way. It's dark triad stuff, right? You know, which is like totally crazy-making. So my dad used to call it psychologically. You, the way you said that, injures me, and therefore, you know, th- th- therefore I should have control over you and your career, and my life, and whatever. That feels, it feels like it got a less top-down and more horizontal. B, fucking crazier. If I'm just being honest, like actually, just just more kind of more mental games but maybe that was going on under these communist regimes too i mean i'm, I'm curious you're
2: fucking okay, crazier yes i think i mean we're in a moment of, <laughs> of, of psychotic breakdown i think for our society kind of in, in its big information sense right i don't think americans necessarily at the household level are going around saying like things like that to each other you know but as in, in the public sphere you know in the information sphere i think yeah, fucking crazy is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, look, in the 60s, when I confess I was a young man, um, you, you, there were people there who would call you to account at just your peer level uh, if you said things that seemed, you know, you, you were, ah, I'm all for the war, man, gonna mm-hmm. kill those commies. <clears throat> I was always anti communist. I was also anti war because I thought that was a crazy, Vietnam was kind of a weird, crazy war. The difference is, though, nobody said what you said that's the fucking crazy part right mm-hmm. people would say sit down Martin let's have a discussion and we three hours later would be yelling at each other and then we'd go off and have a beer or something mm-hmm. you know or something else you know? yeah. <laughs> so, so um yeah so it was it was it, it was a You could be called to account for your opinions, but you wouldn't be called to account in that totalitarian way, which ends the conversation. It was the beginning of a
1: conversation. Or in this kind of crazy dark triad way. Dark triad, of course, I'm referring to, this is the latest in woke psychology. It's the combination of psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and narcissism. But I mean, it seems like in communist Cuba, it's kind of like, you know that if you say Fidel Castro is a terrible dictator and we should have a democracy, you're going to be in trouble. But the difference today is that, like, you might say, well, I was talking to this homeless guy, and somebody would be up in your face being like, you mean a person experiencing houselessness? <laughs> yes, yes. Because what you just said yes. was so offensive to me and my people. Like, and you just be suddenly, you just, that that's like a kind of crazy. That, like, I'm just, I don't, I think we've pioneered that here. I think that's our contribution to, to totalitarianism, is the particularly dark triad Crazy making nature of it, yeah, and
2: I mean, but I think it's it is it's very incoherent. Yes, there is a culture. Of, I've been calling it the cult of identity for a bit now, and I think it's now an established church. The second that that uh, Joe Biden won the election and the Democrats won both houses of Congress, yeah, you had basically an, an entire establishment, wall to wall, you know, the academia, the the corporations, mm-hmm. the media, and now the government uh we're all saying the same words um but number one look at who who's doing it joe biden i mean does he even understand what the word equity means the why is he doing this right he's not doing it because he's afraid of harming people he has no clue most of his people have no clue what these words mean but they know that they as as elected officials have lost all authority. The kind of authority that a president used to have by being elected, even Richard Nixon, a man who evoked a lot of hostility, he got elected and you know the, the cartoonists of the Washington Post gave him a shave, said, No more five o'clock shadow, you know, you're now the president. Um now it's the opposite. You get elected president and everybody hates you for being president. Two-thirds of the population immediately despises you. So how do you control these forces, these political forces? Well, you 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 go through this ideology that says, if you disagree with me, you're a bad person. You're lying. But the deeper you get into that ideology and, and you tend to think that there is a balancing, that some are more important than others, that's false. There is no... Reconciling no no way, and you can reconcile um, some people's claims against others. It is essentially a perpetual conflict machine. Identity is a perpetual conflict machine. There is no if you're talking okay, it's all no. Who are of say ethnically who are the greatest victims? Blacks say okay yeah, but what about black women? So should we put a black woman against black men? Oh, but what about lesbian black women do they trump black women and black so it, it, martin it, the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> no and then
1: trans black women trump them all i mean they they do they it's it's yeah. not i don't think it's confusing for them no i think it is they have a very they, they actually and they, they spend some time figuring i mean um leighton by the way you should just tell that story can you tell that story about With, the story the story you were telling me about the um that seneca told you about the the, the trans guy who was telling him he was racist. Yeah. He, see, he was having an
0: argument. So this is a black man. yeah. Yeah. He's a black man. And he was having an argument with, um, some white person about race, um, involving race. And, you know, the, the white person said something that was sort of like outside of their quote unquote lived experience as a white person. And he said, but you're, you know, you're white and I'm black. So how can you say that? And the white person said, and I don't think the white person was actually trans, I think it was more like um, you know, non-binary or something like that, but said, well, I'm trans, and transness is a, is a um, outgrowth of white supremacy, and so I have also been marginalized by white supremacy. So therefore I'm entitled to, te- to sort of like explain to you as a black person, like these is like found a back door in.
2: <laughs> Let's see right there, those two people. Okay, so you have the black, the black
0: man and, and,
2: and, and, and the white trans. What do you have? You have perpetual conflict. between Because that black mm-hmm. guy didn't go away thinking, oh yeah, yes. you, you're morally superior right. to me. He, he just went away thinking shit. You know what are you talking about? You're just a white person. Yeah. You know, so it's a it's a perpetual conflict machine, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like incommensurable spheres. What you were talking about before, you know. So one of my favorite rhetorical tropes is when people say, "As a Cuban, I think," right. yeah. and then you go, "Well, what about?" I said, "You're not Cuban. You can't say that, right?" right. Um, so. So, does being a certain ethnic or sexual or whatever identity put you in in a uh, cognitive moment that is so um, unique that nobody can penetrate to your common humanity? I mean it, to me that that's these are very uh, isolated pockets of people who are trying to you know, generate you know sympathy for their causes, who are being in many ways exploited, I think, by the institutions and the elites.
1: Like, I mean, I have a bunch of reactions. to things. Like, in the environmental movement, I hated it. There was a trend, I think it went away, where people would be like, as a new father, yeah. I would like to address climate. And you're all supposed to have this, re- oh, well, I mean, he's a new father. So he obviously knows how we should reorganize the global energy economy to deal with climate change because he's just got a baby. And, like, everyone's supposed to sit there. I mean, that, that's the kind of... Um, that's a part of wokeness, which is this thing where you're all supposed to sort of nod along as though these things make sense when they make no fucking sense at all.
0: You've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.